0: Oh yeah, let's go. What's up, everybody? It's time for The Exchange with your host, Logan Lewis. That is me. I've got a great guest today, but before I get to her, a couple little housekeeping things that I tell you every single week. Number one, go follow us on Instagram, Exchange, P-O-D-L-O-G. Horrible handle. I know it's horrible. I'll change it one day, but until I do, go follow it. And when I do change it, I'll be the first person to let you know that it has been changed. Uh, number two, go tell a friend. You know, we're all trying to learn something new or hear something fresh. Well, this podcast can be that. Tell a friend in need. I have so many interviews on this on this feed. I think this will be episode thirty-eight overall. There's thirty-seven other interviews that you can go back and listen to from my parents to my grandparents to business owners to media personalities. There's so many different things to learn here uh so so go check it out and, and enjoy and hopefully uh, you're along for the ride but ignore those 37 other episodes because for this 38th episode i'm talking with a person uh that uh, has been in my life for the probably the past four or five years uh she's originally from south korea did not know that until doing my research for this episode uh, during the day she's a manager at holder construction and associate development but in her spare time she is the founder and lead storyteller at inkwell publishers some fun facts about her she served in the navy she never went to college and she's always trying to take on the status quo please welcome my friend beverly floyd hello beverly
1: hey logan that was great that intro music you know had me bopping a little bit i don't dance often so (laughs) (laughs) So it felt awkward, but I couldn't help it. So good intro beats.
0: No, absolutely. We loved, I love to get the the people hyped. That has been one really great piece of feedback that I've received over the course of doing this show is that the intro music gets people hyped.
1: Oh yeah. So I'm ready. So how are you? I'm fantastic. You know, thinking of intro beats, so you know me, I love to tell stories. And so you mentioned me working at Holder, being a manager at Holder. And so one of the things that we're doing at Holder is we're trying to kind of reimagine what onboarding looks like. And so we got a bunch of associates who have been with Holder for under a year and asked them to come up with, you know, what does that day one, week one experience, you know, how can we really enhance it for new associates coming on board? So they came up with this like really cool video and they shared the video with us. And there's like this amazing beat in the background. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's such a great beat. So they finished, you know, showing this video and afterwards we're giving them feedback. And I made the playful comment. Hey, which one of you is making beats on the side? Right? Yeah. And why was the beat some Drake song that I've never heard in my life about starting from (laughs) the top or the bottom or something, something you've never heard that song? No. And so, (laughs) so I just dated myself. For your audience <laughs> because like i had no idea what that song was i literally thought one of them like had some big mixing equipment in their garage somewhere and they're mixing beats on the side but wow so so starting off with the story that's it
0: <laughs> we, lo- we love telling stories and that's ultimately beverly while you're here i mean we, when I worked at Holder, that's no secret. Everyone knows that I once, at one point, worked at Holder. When I worked at Holder, you were one of the few people, maybe in a handful of maybe about ten people, that I felt like I could really trust and talk to about absolutely anything. And, um, and over the course of like getting to know each other over the few years that I was there, uh, I just learned that you like telling stories. You love people. That's where, like I said, you you work in associate development. People is in your job description. So has that always been a a thing for you from a young age? Have you always been interested in people?
1: Yeah, I have. I've always been interested in people's stories. um, What compels them to do the things they do? um, How did they get to where they are? Um, Yeah. And it's, I didn't think that it was um, a gift and I, I I'm using that word really carefully. I'm almost uncomfortable using it. But since I've said it, I'll just stick with it. Um, I didn't think it was a gift for many, many years, but I was always that person, you know, not in the limelight, but supporting those who who wanted to be in the limelight or who I believed in should be in the limelight. Um, so I was always that person kind of encouraging, motivating, you know, people to go be their best selves. And um it wasn't until, you know, many, many, many years after, probably closer to today's day when I realized, well, wait a minute. That is what my passion is. My passion is propelling people forward and understanding where they came from so I can help them get to where they're going. So, yeah, I I, I probably have always cared very deeply for people, but not in a sentimental, you know, kind of way, because I, I like to have fun and I, you know, um, am not. I'm I'm not a softy. We'll put it that way. So so not in that soft kind of way, but but in a more go get it, you know, go get yours kind of way.
0: Yeah. You also we talked a little bit before, and you said that I give off sometimes the the entrepreneurial spirit. Like just hearing you say that last couple sentences, like it. You have that mindset as well. I mean, you started Inkwell Publishers. I mean, have you always wanted to? to be that self-starter, go into business for yourself, be your own boss type situation?
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. From a young age, at at what point in my career, I realized I woke up and said, wow, because I've always been a hard worker, you know, and probably to a fault where, you know, when people say workaholic, you know, my picture is one of the ones up there with many other people. Um, but there was one day that I realized, oh, my gosh, like I'm really busting my butt to build somebody else's dreams while well, I have these dreams that are just laying dormant. And and at that point, and I was probably in my 20s at that time when I came to that realization, I knew that, you know what? Um, yeah, I'm going to work hard for people that I'm working with, but I really have to go get mine too and do what's going to you know, bring me long term joy.
0: Wow, so it's it's almost funny that we we initially. Do you remember how we crossed paths initially at Holder? Like what for what purpose that we got together was? Oh yeah, yeah. do you? <laughs> I, I think I think I do, but I, 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 was it for Holdercast?
1: It was for Holdercast. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of us had started a podcast, and uh, you found out about it, and you already had a podcast going on. And so um, I don't know who told you, maybe it was Travis in our office that told you, go talk to Bev. So I don't know who directed you to me, but yeah, you, you just dinged me one day and said, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. And I had no idea what you were going to want to (laughs) talk about. And so I remember the conference room that we sat in, it was Centennial right upstairs on the 12th floor.
0: (laughs) Sure was right. Right. Uh, in HR, the one against the, the 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 side of the building, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you you come you came up there and you told me that hey, I I heard that there's a holdercast and I want to be part of it. And you started sharing with me what you were doing. And yeah, that's the rest is history.
0: That's crazy. It's almost fitting that we're here doing a podcast together when our very origins like were to thank for for holdercast. I think it was Travis mm-hmm. that. I think just because, you know, we have that room down there on the 10th floor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would see Travis coming in and out of it all the time. Yeah. And I, I I think one day I grabbed him and said, like, what are you doing in there? Like, what, <laughs> what, what is the purpose? Are you just are you like taking a break and hiding in a closet? Like, because you, you want to get away from floor. your desk. <laughs> uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, partly, yes, I it's nice to be able to work in a little room and get away from my desk for a minute. But it's also where we record videos and then he threw out the word podcast and you know this as as well as anybody that knows me well is as soon as I hear that word podcast like a a switch flicks in my brain that says podcast where it's almost like (laughs) saying treat to your dog your dog's like treat where's the treat I want the treat where's the treat you have the treat like yeah so yeah I just As as soon as I heard that, I was like, I don't care who's in it. I don't care who hosts it, who produces it. I just want to have some involvement on some level. And then, boom, however many years later, two, three, four years later, here we are.
1: Yeah. And and then, you know, so when you started helping us with that podcast, I use that word help very lightly because you ended up really helping us organize, you know, taking the lead on that. And um, yeah, without you, there really wouldn't have been much structure. I think, because we, the rest of us had a lot of ideas. I just like to interview people because I'm up, like, you, you know, we started off. I, I like people and I like to hear their stories. So, um, and then Danny was part of that. And Danny is a great interviewer. He is like, you know how people say jack of all trades, master at none. He's like master of all trades, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he can do so many things well. Um, and so he was part of that and Chrissy. Um, and so, yeah, we had kind of like this, little rat pack going on (laughs) (laughs) and we'd go down on the 10th floor and have a blast like it was so much fun it was so much fun it was and that
0: holder cast is almost what pushed me in the direction of doing this exchange because you know at the time i had uh shout out to the og people that remember hold on to your butts uh uh now the binge boys but um i had that after getting to know, like you know, HolderCast people, for the for those who don't know, uh, it was a it was a way for us to interview the people that you know worked at Holder, whether it was a VP or an executive or just you know a, a, an engineer that's just starting out or or a manager. We would bring in some some people and and just talk to them about what they do at Holder, but then also about what they did in their personal life, what their passions are, what their hobbies are, why they get out of bed in the morning, and. Uh, and that really th- pushed me in the whole like, this is very like talk show oriented, and I lo- I started getting into watching like late night TV, like Conan or Kimmel or Fallon or whoever, and and it really started like igniting this fire in me that was like, I you know what I love people too, I really love people, and I'm I've always credited myself to being good with people and very listening and understanding. So all of those things kind of combined. And that's actually kind of what started this podcast. So it almost feels like fate that we're sitting here right
1: now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, that whole podcast was part of a culture at Holder was like this Karen Connect culture. And we wanted to create an opportunity where people can learn not just what you do in your day to day, like you said, but who they are as individuals. And it was also part of, you know, we were in the earlier discussions or midway discussions, we were really taking diversity and inclusion seriously. And so we knew, you know, there's so much more to diversity and inclusion than the color of someone's skin or their gender, but diversity of thought. And um, so, yeah, that that was a blast. That was absolutely a blast. And you, you know, were, you just fit seamlessly into that group. And really, like I said, you know, started to be the leader of that group. I mean, we ended up calling you like the producer. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah now it does feel like we've come full circle and kind of we way. have yeah
0: absolutely but it can't so, stop
1: here as we make that circle we're gonna have to loop the circle a couple more absolutely.
0: times. absolutely this the circle has to come relived what if there's an exchange that features all of the once members of holder cast oh my
1: gosh that would be so cool yeah. logan you gotta do that I,
0: i'll tell you what one thing if he ever hears this i hope he does and if he does please text me but danny will never do it he he's very he's very uh conscious about he you know he doesn't do social media he doesn't do any of that stuff he's very conscious about his yeah, yeah. digital Understand. footprint i think which i mean he's not hiding anything but you know some people are just against the the that online the blessing and curse that is social media yeah you know i i'm sure you agree and everybody that uses it has to take a step back and realize that social media is like maybe one of the greatest things, but also like it could be the demise of the human race. Like it it has caused (laughs) the
1: demise of the human race. You are so dramatic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It it does some of the greatest things for people, but it also, you know, nobody's safe at the same time. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: I I would love to try to get everyone together for it, but you know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if he's not linked to any else on social media, then it's just stays, you know, this podcast interview. It's not like they can go find him anywhere, but I understand his thoughts about social media because I also like, I'm going to use the word hate. I hated social media. And if it weren't for starting Inkwell, I still would not be on social media. I, I started it because like you said, it is one of the most brilliant, you know, you know, Inventions (laughs) Inventions <laughs> or creations um, that allows people to network, interact, meet people they wouldn't otherwise meet, you know. In a very, I mean, it's free, so um, yeah. yeah. But 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 I totally understand. I was really uncomfortable with social media, and I still am. I mean, I'm still really uncomfortable with it.
0: Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen an Inkwell TikTok account yet. I'm not sure if that's in the works or anything, but.
1: Oh my gosh! No. <laughs> Until the company grows to the point where I've hired TikTokers, uh, I don't know if that's what they're <laughs> called, but that's what I'm calling them. Uh that might want to do something like that. But yeah, you're not getting me on a TikTok.
0: <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I there's so many businesses out there. I mean, hell, my day job, my job at Quickly Media would not be a, we would not be able to operate if You know, our our goal is to increase people's online presence in order Mm. to help sell their products. So and services. So if if we didn't do if social media didn't exist, then I I wouldn't have a job. And um Yeah. And and that and you know, so that's that's absolutely insane that the impact that, that social media has about uh just the planet.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you what, one social media platform that I do like and I'm comfortable with is Clubhouse.
0: I, oh man, I'm so curious to to hear your thoughts on Clubhouse.
1: Okay, I'll tell you why I like Clubhouse. I like Clubhouse because I don't have to create a post or a picture. I don't have to do any of that. Uh, That there's topics of interest that if I just want to engage with people who have common interest i can do that at you know easily i can just it feels like a live podcast with a live studio audience is kind of what it feels like and if yeah. i want to contribute to the conversation i can raise my little hand and and hopefully the host or the moderator will you know pick me um, and most of them like have opportunities, the most of the, the chat rooms that I've sat in on, they, they have, they definitely welcome people to contribute to the conversation. And so then I can share my idea, my thought, my vision or contribute to that discussion. And if you share something that's meaningful, then people will start to follow you based on that. So what I like about it is that I don't have to create any content. I could just go in and be myself. I can engage in conversations that are important to me or that are just interesting to me. I can just go sit and listen in. You know, as a publisher, a lot of the books that we write are fiction novels. So if I just want to sit in a room and hear people talk about relationships because I'm trying to build a character that's in a particular situation in a book, well, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. all I have to do is listen to people talk about it. So You
0: know what? On go on ahead. the complete on the complete opposite side of the spectrum the social media that i am the most uncomfortable with is clubhouse (laughs) tell me why this is going to sound like a complete um joke to anybody that knows me or just knows how i operate but i'm terrified of this idea well not terrified of the idea but like so I've jumped into a couple of of rooms and listened to people talk and engage. My 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 partner Daniel, he's very big in in Clubhouse. He loves talking and engaging with other entrepreneurs. And and there was a time that there was maybe three hundred people in this room just listening, and they were just talking and talking and talking. And at one point, like I clicked, like raised my hand. I was like, they're not going to see it. And they called on me, and it gave me the opportunity to talk. And I was, I I, 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 I don't know. Uh, and then i just like left the room <laughs> so, like <laughs> i i more so is i'm almost interested like you said it's almost like a live podcast like i've almost debated like what if we just did a live podcast in clubhouse and invited people to it or or something but i don't know that's a whole other animal i have i'm comfortable with tiktok i could do tiktok yeah. but i could not do clubhouse at this moment
1: Maybe because it was just new and, yeah, like you didn't think that they would, you know, bring you up on the stage and they did. And so it just kind of was like gave you that deer in headlights type of thing. But you are very I'm I'm used to you being very comfortable in conversation and free flowing and exchanging ideas. So I think that was just a one time thing. Next time, don't raise your hand until you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, give it a try. I totally want to start a room. And I have some really good ideas on what how I want that room to be kind of, you know, uh, orchestrated. But before, um, so I'm going to kind of like rewind just a little bit. What TikTok reminds me of, not TikTok, Clubhouse. What Clubhouse reminds me of is back in the day when it was like America online and, you know, the internet was first becoming big, there were chat rooms, right? Yeah. But they weren't audio chat rooms. You'd have to, you know, yeah. but you were doing the same thing. You were engaging in type, you know, in text format with people in a room that had common interests. And I feel like what they've done is they've taken that model. I don't know if the creators behind this intentionally did that, but that's what it feels like to me as a, as a user. And they just kind of modernized it and they, you know, so now it's an audio chat room versus a text chat room. Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember at a young age engaging in, in some chat rooms like that. Like uh, I'm even involved with one right now, like they're, they're a pretty big chat room application out there. It's called Discord. Mm. And a lot of people use It's a really big like gaming and streaming okay. um, platform. So okay. like people will go in and they'll live stream maybe them playing Mario Kart or something. And their fans can sit. It's almost like Twitch. Fans can get in there and interact and chat with each other, and just like you can build online communities around like subjects and ideas. And then like even when they're not streaming, that community still exists. Like I could hop into a Discord right now and chat with millions of people about French fries. Like wow, like it's it's insane. So I've
1: never heard of that. And then you said Twitch. I've never heard of Twitch either. I've never
0: heard of Twitch. I have no idea what you're talking about. Damn. Twitch is like Twitch is a platform that was created quite a few years back. I think for the sole purpose of like you recording yourself doing something and people can tune in and watch. You could be, you could be, uh, shaving your legs. You could be cooking a steak. You could be baking a pie or you could be playing video games. And the primary use is online gamers streaming and creating a, uh, just like an online community around their brand of, yeah, it's very interesting. People make a living off of it. Like they make full, you know, six figures playing video games for a living because fans will tune in and donate to their cause. Like it's, and they'll get sponsorships almost like they're an athlete.
1: Dang. No, I've never heard of Twitch. When you say Twitch, Look, we are doing so many shout-outs. We've talked about TikTok, Clubhouse. Like, they should be paying us right now. I right? know, right?
0: No, no more free advertising.
1: <laughs> exactly. But Twitch, to me, is that dancer, that hip-hop dancer yes. that started on, <laughs> on So You Think You Can Dance, which I was addicted to back in the day. Oh so my when you God. say Twitch, that's what I picture him with the Superman uh, T-shirts that he would wear and his glasses. Yeah, that's Twitch. Um,
0: I haven't thought of So You Think You Can Dance in forever. Oh, my God. Is that I, still on TV? I
1: have no idea, but I used to love that. Like Wow. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I haven't, that, you just, like, reignited a memory that I didn't know I had. <laughs> so so let's rewind a little bit. Before Inkwell, before Holder, you were mm-hmm. you're born in South Korea?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My mother is, is Korean. She's from Seoul, Korea. And my dad was in the Army and uh, was stationed in Korea and met my mother. And um, I have two sisters that are older than me. So my older sister is born in um, Virginia. So we went from Korea to the U.S. And then we went to Tehran, Iran. My sister right above me was born there. What? <laughs> and then, and then, we go, <laughs> then, we, then they go back to Korea and that's where I'm born. And okay. then my brother was born in Korea as well. And then we went back to Iran. So I lived in Iran for five years. And that's really the um, the environment that I remember most as a young person. Like I remember bits and pieces of being little in Korea, but, you know, um, Iran is where I first attended school. And, you know, until I, we moved when I was about nine years old. So a lot of my childhood memories are, are formed from there. And, um, and then we moved to, El Paso Texas was our first <laughs> was the first state that I lived in
0: what a change of scenery I ran to El Paso Texas
1: oh yeah
0: I yeah. had no idea you lived in Iran see I knew I knew damn well that, that I'd be learning stuff that I had no idea Iran. what what was that like like how different is the culture like you know we see the headlines we see the news about you know I ran this I ran this U.S. this U.S. that but like being a person that was there. Yeah. But like you were you're very young, but like do you remember like what was the culture like?
1: Yeah, I, I do well, first I I had never lived in the States, so I had nothing to compare it to. Coming to the States was like a strange thing for me. But um so gosh, there's so many things I can tell about Iran. So I'll start off with the school that we attended was called Tehran American School. And so there was there was a huge military community that lived there but there was no like base housing that I'm aware of. Like we all lived out with, you know, with the locals in apartments and things like that, or, or homes out in the community. And so my landlord was an Iranian um, family, the landlord. And then we lived on like the bottom floor. And then we had, um, who must, you know, I didn't know at the time it was an American family that lived in the middle floor and they weren't military. They must've been like government contractors or something like that. Because there was a lot of contractors, you know, that. You know we're stationed in Iran as well, but our school it was called Tehran American School. And when I look back at it now, it was very much built built like a huge college campus, a huge university. So there were huge pods, and the pods had different names, and the names were based on um, uh, towns and districts in Iran. Um, And there was a lot of Americans, you know, that attended. So we, you know, so it's not like I have to learn how to speak Farsi. You know, it was an American school. Um, There were guards, though, uh, that were, you know, from the Iranian military. And they would literally like walk around the perimeter fence of the campus with, I don't know what these guns are called, but they're like the guns with the big knives that hang out. What are those things called? Like
0: a bayonet?
1: Bayonet. Yeah, they would have those. Of course, when I was young, I didn't think anything of it. It just, they were the guards.
0: Yeah, um, it was just what you knew, because that's yeah, the only thing you had known.
1: Exactly. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was the school. Um, we had a class called Iranian Culture Studies, ICS. And so Iranian Culture Studies is like learning American history or something like that. So we had okay. to learn, you know, about the Iranian culture. Um, So yeah, I I didn't know anything else, um, so it wasn't bizarre to me at all. Um, But it's so. And then during Christmas time, I do remember it's kind of funny. During Christmas time, they'd have Santa Claus come to the school, but he would come on a camel. (laughs) So he would be dressed. He would be dressed in like total Santa gear. Um, I don't remember him being like, you know, heavyset Santa. So just like moderately sized Santa, but he would be on a camel and uh, <laughs> he would come through the school. So, yeah. And then then for leisure time, I mean, um, there was what we call the Gulf District, which was like where the military people hung out, um, where the club was like restaurants, the swimming pool, the gyms. Um, They were huge into sports, so there was like uh, a lot of uh, baseball fields, the theater. They were far away. It felt like they were far away from the house. I I can't tell now, but it felt like it would take us a long time to get there. But that is where we socialized, you know, with other military families. So I took swim lessons and karate. I took Taekwondo. My mother would play bingo there. My dad was on the baseball team. There was a huge park that we played at and got dirty. So it was cool to me. Like I didn't know, you know, what America was like. So to me, it was just cool. Some of the other interesting things, uh, I mentioned our apartment. And so we lived on the bottom floor. And so for all of the Iranian like high holy days where they would like sacrifice the goat or, you know, the sheep, it would they would do it in our backyard because we have the ground level. So we would like oh, be watching out the window <laughs> and they got like, slaughtering. No, literally, they would slaughter this this goat or this sheep in our backyard. <laughs> so I've got tons of stories like they did not like people of color. So the okay. derog- there were derogatory names for people of color, um, and so that we, we yeah people would shout that at us, and um, yeah, I mean I could tell a lot of stories about it, but that would I mean this whole conversation would be about me living in Iran, but but yeah, I will say this: it wasn't until aside from the from the local to you know called us you know. It's called Sia is what they would say, which is the N word in, in, in our language. Okay. Yeah. They would call us that. And then we would like, they, they knew we lived there after a while. So they would say it as they'd either pass by our, we'd have like this big iron gate, but there was like, there was like a couple of, it was a couple of feet off the ground. So like you could, we would get our house shoes and like bang it under the ground when they call, call us those names. And then they'd take our shoe and <laughs> they would throw it in what's called the jube. And the jube is like a gutter. I don't know what is it called at the curb. Excuse me.
0: Like a storm drain.
1: Like a, like a like a drain. Like a drain. It's like that that runs along the sidewalk. But it's real shallow, so I guess we would call it like a gutter, maybe. I don't know why. I don't know what that's called. But but it was maybe we called it a jube. It was about two feet high and it had water, like a constant stream of water that flowed through a very shallow, very shallow stream of water that would flow through and oh, the entire street.
0: Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I can see it in my head. I don't know what the hell it's called.
1: Yeah. And then there'd be like this Almost like a seaweedy type of texture of some type of plant or something I don't know if it was maybe now that I'm thinking of it, it might have been like mold or something who knows but they would throw our shoe in that right and so then our shoe would like go floating down this shallow stream down the street and and we'd be chasing after our shoe and yeah so so that was that was fun to us for some reason as a kid uh, it wasn't traumatizing.
0: I was just gonna say. I mean, the way you're you're telling the story, you're like laughing and and smiling. But like, I'm sure it was like it was hard. I mean, you know, you you had a like you said, you people of color. You guys were a multi race family, uh, a uh, interracial family. So was that was? It, I don't know what I'm trying to ask, but like. At no, the time, were you laughing and smiling or was it were you like afraid or were your parents like don't don't interact with them when they call you those names and, and stuff like that?
1: We were afraid sometimes, but not all the time. I mean, we were kids, so it was kind of fun chasing our shoe down that thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and to be honest, even though, yes, I was biracial and we had this interracial family, there was a lot of other, you know, mixed uh. uh interracial families there. Like my mother had Korean friends who had, you know, biracial children. Some of them were black and Asian like us. Some of them were white and Asian, but you know, in this military environment, there was in our close knit community, there was no focus on race that I I perceived as a young child. Like, even though I knew mom's Korean and friends are Korean and we're doing Korean things, Um, it, I did not realize that I was different until I moved to the States. And that was my first encounter with racism was in the States with the exception of, with the exception of the Iranians. Um, you know, again, but we weren't interacting with them on a regular basis. I didn't have to go to school with them. They weren't at the grocery Mm -hmm. store with me, you know? there were these random one-off situations that didn't last long. It was like, they call us the name. We bang our shoe under the gate. They take our shoe, throw it in the jube. We open up the gate and go run after the shoe and they're gone. You know, so it wasn't until I came to the States that I realized, oh, wait a minute, we're supposed to be different. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we're not accepted.
0: So what was that like going from Iran and like, curious like how at that time i'm sure it was different than what it is today or maybe it isn't but like how other countries view the united states like when you knew you were moving to the united states were you like oh my god we're moving to the greatest country on earth or were you like we're moving to the united states really like we're going to texas what the hell's texas
1: (laughs) i didn't know what it was i did not i had no concept of america at all Mm -hmm. and um had no concept but what's really interesting, I think your your listeners, when I don't know if you remember, you know, you would not have been born at the time, but there was a bunch of Americans from the embassy that were taken hostage in the in the late 70s in Iran. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, they made um, a they
0: made a movie uh, about it with uh, Ben Affleck. Argo.
1: Absolutely. So we left Iran right before those Americans were taken hostage. Wow. Like. That's that is what I remember about moving away is that this is happening and we're out of here. Um that is what I, I but what any concept of America had no idea. Had wow. no idea.
0: And then and then moving to the United States and then experiencing did you experience racism like on a more like upfront personal level, like way more than you did yeah, immediately. It,
1: it, Immediately for, and for different reasons. So um, where we where we I can't even remember the school that we attended and we didn't stay in Texas long. We were there for like three months or so. And it was because my dad had to go to some military school before we were going to our actual base. So uh, he went to his actual school. I have no idea where that school was even at. And then there was a family, another Korean and black family that my dad had known through his travels that lived in El Paso. And so we stayed with that family, their names were the Coulters. So we stayed with the Coulters and we attended you know, school and everything during that timeframe. And so that was the first time that I realized um, that I was black, but not necessarily that I was Korean, because that was when, you know, we were first discriminated against, you know, for being a person of color. And then we were also very awkward. I mean, we lived in Iran for so long. Like when we came to the States, we had like, like huge sheepskin coats <laughs> that were just <laughs> really awkward. like. My mother dressed us all like triplets, even though, you know, we're varying ages apart. We were just not Westernized. Like we, we looked weird to people, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to have to send you some pictures one day of us in our sheepskin coats, because then pe- yes, the people just made fun of us. You know, we were just, um, and then, yeah, just, just definitely um, probably bullied by one or two individuals, but mostly like discarded or isolated from most others. Like, no, you can't play with us. No, you can't, you know, we were just, we just didn't fit in. Um, and then after we left El Paso, we moved to Kentucky. My dad was stationed at Fort Campbell. Okay. And that's when I first realized that I was Korean because then it was, we're in El Paso. It was mainly, you know, white individuals who didn't uh, accept us because we were black. Well, now we get to Tennessee, or can, can t- we, I end up going to middle school in Tennessee, but ele- finished my elementary school years um, in Kentucky. And then it was Black people who c- didn't accept us because we weren't Black enough. It was like, you know, who are you? What are you? Yeah. You know, and then we were still very weird. Like my mother dressed us like you would think that it was Easter Sunday like yeah. every day of the week the way we dressed
0: <laughs> like you weren't you weren't going to to school in a nike t-shirt you were no. you were you were wearing like the full getup
1: yeah we were wearing dresses like we had the knee socks the white socks pulled up to our knees with the hard shoes like our hair was like oh boy you i know. need i can't wait to
0: see a picture <laughs> of this
1: my mother totally dressed us uh, you know we just weren't westernized now she learned and you know we had to learn how to assimilate to this new culture but yeah i did not realize i was black and korean until we moved to the states and and then it was like okay we're not accepted because of this and mm-hmm. and that's when the bullying, like you know bullying really started like in tennessee kentucky like like daily bullying, like, like, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have to fight now type of bullying. <laughs> um, so.
0: Damn, that's horrible. Um, but then let's, let's fast forward a little further. So I didn't know you lived in Iran at all. So that's crazy to hear. Yeah. I almost want you to come back sometime. so we can just like <laughs> full deep dive into Iran. But um, also before I get to what I was actually going to say, I just thought of a new thing. Is it Iran or is it Iran? Like.
1: I have no idea. I say it both ways just depending on the day.
0: (laughs) Because I I saw a YouTube video once where this guy was like saying Iran and a a guy like was like, it's actually Iran. But then he was then another guy stood up and was like, actually, it's Iran. So it's like, what is it?
1: Exactly. (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Iran Um, sounds better, but Iran sounds like somebody totally Took it and made it American,
0: you know. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It sounds like a total white guy like trying to pronounce it like Iran, <laughs>
1: exactly. Iraq, and that's what we do, right? We go in and we turn things around and yeah. try to Americanize everything. Yeah,
0: yeah, so. Americanize everything. Um, so then we fast forward uh, quite a few years, and then you you served in the Navy.
1: Yeah, I yeah. had
0: no clue about this.
1: Okay, so. Again, people, I love to tell stories. Okay, so this is how, so I'm in high school, right? And, you know, earlier you mentioned in the intro, I didn't go to college. Well, I just don't like learning in formalized institutions. I, for me personally, yeah, I think those who are comfortable with it and thrive in that environment, I think that's awesome. But I've never liked it. And so in high school, you know, I did what I did, what I did to, to get by. I did what I needed to do to get by. So um, there's this biology test that's about to happen in high school, and I am not prepared for that biology test. And that morning, they announced on the loudspeaker on the PA system that the military's uh, folks are coming to do the ASVAB test for anyone who wants to take this ASVAB test. And it's a three-hour test, right? It's a long test. And it just so happens to be like during one of the, during my biology class. So I am like, I am not taking this biology test. I'm about to go take this military test because there's no stakes, right? I'm just going to take this test. I don't plan on joining the military. I just need to get out of this test. Okay. So, so I go to the auditorium to take this uh, or the media room, wherever it was that they were having this, this test set up. And I take this ASVAP test. Um, now, even though I don't like learning in a formal institution, I really do like learning and I really do like to use my brain. And so when I'm not just, you know, circling in bubbles randomly, I'm like really trying to do well. right? I like really trying to do well. And if you've ever taken that ASVAB test or if any of your listeners have, it's not like a real easy test unless you're like super brilliant or something like they're. Like I'm not mathematically inclined, but there's things like, okay, if this wheel is going this way to this degree and this one's going this way to this degree, then where is wheels B, C, and D going? And, you know, I have no idea, but I'm trying my hardest to pass this test. So I kind of forget that I even take the military ASVAB test Mm -hmm. until like the summer of my, um, um, right after I graduated. So the summer after my senior year. And um, I was dating this guy at the time and he had moved to California. And so I was really starting to get bored that summer because I didn't have anyone to hang out with, right? He was gone. Yeah. And so these recruiters are calling me from all the branches of service and I'm telling them, yeah, I'm not interested in joining the military, hang up. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to join the Marine. I don't want to join the army. I don't want to join the air force. I'm just hanging up. Well. The Navy recruiter calls and he's, you know, he says, so he asked me what I'm doing that day. And I'm like, nothing. And he said, well, why don't I take you to lunch and tell you a little about the Navy? And so I had no plans. I'm figure free lunch, right? I am going to, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to have my boyfriend gone. I am just going to have this free lunch and I'm not going to join the military. So yeah. we go to lunch. He tells me about the Navy. He shows me my ASVAB scores. He tells me what type of jobs that I would qualify for. And um, the job at the time was called a radio man. Okay. Radio man, radio men. And so I hear that. And then he, so he tells me it's like telecommunications. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get to be like this radio broadcaster. Like I'm gonna be this in the Navy I'm gonna be this radio broadcaster and so um and so then he tells me these other things about them about the Navy why the Navy is better than the other branches I come home I tell my mom I want to join the Navy I'm 17 years old and I was gone a week later to boot camp wow that was it he could because I thought I was gonna be a podcaster. I thought I was gonna, <laughs> I thought I was gonna be the next Oprah for the Navy, and my job entailed none of that. That is not what a radio man does in the.
0: <laughs> in the you Navy. soon found out that you were wrong. <laughs> when you got to but, boot camp, you were like, "Oh no!"
1: Oh, boot camp! Oh my gosh! Boot camp was like. I could tell you stories for days, Logan, but yeah, I never planned to join the military. I was bored. The Navy recruiter said the right thing. He told me, he made me believe I could be a darn anchor person for the TV news. And a week later, I'm in Orlando, Florida at boot camp. My mom had to sign. Yeah. My mom had to sign because I'm underage. And and she tells me, my parents had divorced um, by that time. So she tells me, you know, to call my dad and let him know. And my dad was in the army, as I mentioned earlier. So he was totally against it. He said, if you want to join the military, why would you join the Navy? You're going to hate being on the ship, et cetera, et cetera. You need to join the army. And I was very, also very rebellious. And well, maybe not, maybe rebellious is a strong word. I will say that I was, um, wanted to do, um, what is it called when you're like, really firm and resolute in your stance, I was very like, Oh no, uh, this is what I said I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it.
0: You're very like, like firm, like feet, feet, firm on the ground. Like you ain't stopping me. Like,
1: yeah. And when, and if someone told me that I couldn't do something, Oh oh, now I'm really going to do it. So, um, so yeah, that's why I joined the Navy. It wasn't because I was patriotic or wanted to serve my country. Um, Like many people, you know, who do join the Navy have it with, with that, purposeful intention and that's how it should happen um but for me that yeah that wasn't my story
0: did that change over the course of being in the navy like when you got out of the navy how long how long did you serve
1: six and a half years
0: wow so like so when you got out were you like did you feel a different type of way towards like the military i mean you grew up in that military family so you already had a certain level of respect probably for the service but You also, uh, yeah, you, you just, you, you probably like, you joined literally not over six years, but you joined to get out of a a biology test. (laughs) It started that way. And then it ended up, you served six and a half years in the Navy. When you got out, did you have another level, an extra level of respect for it? Like,
1: yeah, I'll say this. I had a beautiful military career. And I don't regret it at all. Like I learned so much. It is the foundation of me of uh, developing the skills that I have today. Absolutely. I attribute that to my military training. Um I um I I got some amazing assignments. So my of course boot camp is in Florida. And then mm-hmm. my my A school, which is where you go to kind of get your your initial training, was in San Diego. Okay. And then in San Diego, my first real duty station was in the Philippines. So if you've ever seen Officer and a Gentleman, and he's stationed in Subic Bay, I was like in Subic Bay in the Philippines. So you know that's like the perfect. And I'm like 18 years old, right? I turned 18 in um, in San Diego, and so I'm 18 years old, and here I am in Subic Bay, Philippines. You know, one of the biggest ports in the Pacific for you know the military. And so uh, that's a, you know, it was just cool. Um, I meet my husband there. He was stationed. He got stationed there about six months after me, and so um, that's where I met my husband. And and of 31 years, we've been married. Um, And then, so we we meet, we fall in love, we decide that we're going to get married. um, But I already have orders to go to my next duty station, which is in London of all places. So oh, snap. I don't to- <laughs> So and then in London, you don't wear your military uniform when you're stationed in London. They give you a what's called a civilian clothing allowance. So they like gave me money to go buy cute clothes. So <laughs> um, so I'm living and working. I'm living like in in a in a little town called Swiss Cottage in London. I'm working like right off North Audley Street, so right off Oxford Street. Like I am like working like right in the heart of the city of London, and I um and then so then my husband ends up getting stationed to Scotland. He's on a on a submarine carrier carrier in Scotland. So I go from London to um, San Antonio to learn a new trade so I can be stationed with my husband. So then I live in Scotland for two years and we have our first daughter in Scotland. Like I had like Beverly, I never left many- a ship.
0: How many freaking countries have you lived in?
1: <laughs> I know. It was amazing. So I had a brilliant military career. You know, I, I really enjoyed the military. I know not everyone has had that type of experience. I never had to go on a ship. Um, and so, and then when I got out of the military, the reason I got out is because when you are a dual military family, so now my husband and I are both active duty And now we have a daughter being stationed together. Number one, isn't easy and it may have changed today, but back then it wasn't that easy. And you would have to do, you would have to rotate sea and shore rotations. So he would either have to be at sea while I was on shore or vice versa, which means we would hardly both be there to be parent to to parent together. Yeah. And that's what made me decide to get out of the military. So I get out but he stays in and retires so I still have one foot in the military you know what I mean through my husband so sure, sure. we go on to travel we and we go to Virginia and then we go to Italy um so yeah we just continue to really enjoy um, you know being a military family
0: that's amazing that's crazy that's I'm so just like... In awe of how uncultured that I am and how like how many different walks of life you've seen and just I'm so incredibly jealous. That's that's really what it comes down to is just pure jealousy. Gosh,
1: it's well, I'll tell you this, though, Logan, when you are when you're older and have a family established and you're living overseas for work, you have to be very intentional about immersing yourself in the community. When we lived in Italy, I was very much work and come home, work and come home, work and come home. I did not take advantage of living in Italy for three years. Like we lived there for three years, and you know, I wish that I would have um, really allowed myself to enjoy all of what Italy has to offer. So we explored a little bit, but not nearly as much. And similar to Scotland, like you know, that's where our, our first daughter was born. Um, and so, but we were very much going from work to home, work to home, work, work, daycare, home, work, daycare, home, and not taking advantage of living there. So
0: that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm so jealous that we could go, on. I almost like, we got to get you back at some point just to just to talk about all of your experiences in all the different countries. Like, I'm so intrigued now. I had no idea about any of this part of your life. I just knew you as the woman who worked at Holder that was my friend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Logan. Yeah, I'm having a great time as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So there comes a point in every interview that I stop asking personal questions and ask, I ask each guest the same 10 questions at the end of every interview. Okay. They're, they're very first datey questions, very easy, nothing crazy. Um, so it's, it's a way to kind of just bring it back and see what different people's, if you wanted, you could go listen to every interview and hear Everybody's answers to these 10 questions. So it's uh
1: Okay. So it's,
0: so it's exciting. So are so you? Is, ready? It like
1: a, is it like a rapid fire type of thing?
0: It could be as fast as we want, or you could if there's a fun story to tell with a with a question, then please tell it.
1: Okay. All right. I'm ready.
0: So what was number one, what was your first ever job?
1: Burger King. <laughs>
0: I didn't know <laughs> that either. That's awesome. How long did you work there?
1: Um, maybe a year and a half. That was where I was working before I joined the Navy. So I got that job in high school, probably when I was 16 and I joined the Navy at 17. So, yeah, I might have actually gotten a job at 15 because I feel like I, I I have always found a way to like do stuff that I'm not supposed to do, but make it OK to do. You know, so I think I might have like maybe was almost 16, but, but probably 15 when I started working there. But okay. So I do have a funny story about Burger King.
0: Please, please.
1: So, you know, today, like you go to, through a drive through and they have like that one window where they take your money. And then the second window where you pick up your food. Yeah. Well, back in the day when I worked at Burger King, they didn't have that double window thing. So, and the Burger King I worked at was like really like it was off base, but it was really close to the military to the base. And so all of the military people, uh, and this is in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Clarksville, Tennessee, <laughs> All of the people would, from the base, would come off base for lunch, right? They'd go to Burger King, Wendy's, whatever. So it would be like slammed busy. Like you think Chick-fil-A, whenever you go to Chick-fil-A, it's like, that was our Burger King. Wow. But we did not have the window, the first window where you pay for your food. So, they would literally have me Logan with. You know when you like go to a ball game and they have that person that's walking around with that tray around their neck with all the little popcorn and the drinks? Yeah, yeah. They strapped the ca- the cash register drawer to a belt and I would stand <laughs> on the I would stand in the driveway drive-through thing and collect their money before they got to the window to pick up their food so I was officially the first human pick up money exchange window at Burger King
0: <laughs> Everly the more stories you tell me the more I like am just that excited
1: is, is about so people
0: hearing this <laughs>
1: <laughs> That is like the stupidest thing ever but I totally. And I really thought I was cute back in those days, you know, that was in the 80s. So I was totally like a cross between Madonna and one of Prince's girlfriends. Like, that's how I would dress. And that was like my hair. So, yeah, that was me at the drive-thru.
0: I can see it now. (laughs) Um, Number two, uh, if you were an animal, what would you be?
1: Oh, that one is a hard one for me because I'm not a real like, like, you know, animal type person. So I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's acceptable
0: to pass if you can't figure it out.
1: The first thing that's coming to mind is a real like hideous animal. Um, And it's a hyena. And the reason I'm saying that is because I have a horrible laugh and growing up, my mom (laughs) used to almost beg me to change my laugh. Like she would be like, please change your laugh and um so i'm gonna say a hyena even though it's a hideous animal because i have a hideous laugh
0: wow that's that's funny i, I that your mom i can picture your mom just be like change it do something different <laughs> just change See? the pitch change the frequency change something about
1: it oh one day i'm gonna have to yeah next time we talk i have so many amazing stories about my mother who who passed away um in 2006 um but yeah, just having a Korean mother in America. <laughs> uh, yeah, you hear a lot of Korean, uh, you know, comedians that really talk about their experiences having an Asian mom. And you know, whenever I hear those comedians, it's like, oh my gosh, that is so dead on. That is so true.
0: That's crazy. Number three, uh, what's the best concert you've ever been to?
1: Oh. I don't know
0: anything about your taste in music, Beverly. What are you jamming to?
1: Um, I don't listen to music a lot right now, but I will say that right before we were on the call, um, I was listening to um, to, on my Pandora, which I know no one probably uses Pandora anymore. But I was (laughs) listening to Phil Collins radio. I like Phil Collins. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what I was listening to before we got on the call. Um, Favorite concert. So, again, I would have to reach back into the 80s because I I went to a lot of concerts in the 80s. Um, New Edition, um, that was a good concert. Um, They would have like these free concerts on bass. So I don't know if you're familiar with like the SOS band, Uh, but they they would come on bass sometimes. Um, But when I moved to the States here in in Atlanta, I actually um, saw Maxwell. Oh, really? Maxwell first came out. And I didn't have the best seats in that one, but that was pretty cool because I wow. I, I do love Maxwell.
0: So. Wow. Um, this this one might take you a minute to think of, uh, but I want the I, I want the first three people that come to your mind that you would have dinner with all in one sitting. You plus three other people at dinner. Who are they?
1: You know what? This is gonna sound like really simple, but it would be my family. It would really? be my. It would be my husband and my two daughters, and so you would think that I have dinner with them all the time. But with COVID, it's been a long time since all of us like were together. Like one daughter might come over, but the other one couldn't come over, and then she'd come over, and then my other daughter. So us just being the um, force again, especially like even without the grandkids, which I love my grandkids, but you know then the conversation kind of tailors to the kids and not you know like what's really going on in my daughters' lives. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, and so that's like reason one reason two is shamefully, even if we weren't in a COVID world, you know, I pour so much heart and soul into work that just, I know I haven't done a good job making my family feel like the priority that they truly are to me. So I know that's taken a more serious spin of the conversation, but.
0: Oh, that's really big of you to be able to admit that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the truth. And I think that what you, what you, what I hope that you've known for me over the years and that you'll continue to learn from me is that I'm a very honest and upfront person and yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid to say things, even though I know that um, it may not look or sound good for me. It, the truth is the truth.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's big. Um, uh, the next up do you understand the three words uh, I'm about to tell you? We're about to play a little little game. It's called okay. stand, mute, cancel. Do you know what it means to stand, to mute, and to cancel something?
1: No, I don't know if there's like this pop culture meaning for it. I know how I would define those things, but what's the pop culture meaning so, of those words?
0: So so if I say that I stand something, it would almost be some. It, it, it spelled stand. STAN when i say i stand something that means like i like full blown like i support it i am here for it i'm 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 first in line type stuff type situation uh, when you mute something that's like i like it i could leave it in the background but i like it um but but i could take it or leave it type situation okay and then to cancel something is very similar to cancel culture like get it out of here it's got to go be gone uh, off the table situation
1: Okay. So, with okay.
0: stand, mute, and cancel. In mind, let's play it with the. Uh, let's play stand, mute, cancel with the trifecta of appetizer dips. You got salsa, you got queso, and you got guac. One of them you stand. One of them you cancel. And one of them you mute.
1: Okay, guac I stand. Okay, salsa I m- mute. And what was the last one? Cancel. No, no. What was the where oh, queso, queso. Queso is what I mute. Okay. So okay. guac, guac I stand for salsa. I mute, even though I really do like salsa, but I like guac better. Um, yeah, and queso I cancel.
0: Okay. Okay. Very interested to see everybody's different uh, takes on that one. That's that's a that's a fun one. Everyone's always like, "No, how dare you ask me that?" Like, <laughs> Sorry. Um. Okay. Next up, uh, what's one movie or TV show uh, that you wish you could go back and rewatch for the first time and experience the emotions all over again?
1: Okay, this is going to be a, a serious one too, and and I might have two. But so the first one will be an Imitation of Life. Okay. Um. And are you familiar with that movie?
0: Yes, vaguely, yeah. but yes. I don't think I've seen it myself, but I know what it is.
1: Yeah. Cause I, 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 number one, I was really young when I first watched it, but it still made me cry. Um, and so I just wonder now that I'm older, I haven't watched it in a very, very, very long time, you know, with more mature, with a more mature lens, what I would get out of that. And another one that's, that's close to it also was a movie that made me cry, which was Joy Luck Club. Mm, yeah. And I love that movie Uh, and every time I watch it, I cry because it reminds me so much of my mother um, and just that culture, that Asian culture. Um, So yeah, those two movies.
0: Very good answers. Uh, and keeping it on the movies train, you know, back in the day when COVID wasn't a thing and we could go and enjoy a movie in the theater. I know you and your husband went and saw movies together sometimes. So what do you guys get when you go to the movies snacks wise? Are you guys loading up on the popcorn? Are you guys snacks people? Are you guys the people that order a pizza in the movies? Like, what do you what do you guys getting?
1: OK, I don't like going to the movies. However, my husband loves movies. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he can drag me out, we usually have to do it. Like we, we can't just go to, I don't even know the names of the theaters. I, we, we, AMC or whatever. We mm-hmm. can't just go there. He, he, I'll make him take me to now. I can't remember the name of this place either, but it's where they serve the food and everything. Oh well. um,
0: yes. Like studio movie grill or something like that.
1: Not that one. There's another one. It's our favorite one. And I can't think of the name anyways. That's where he, that's where I make him take me. And so you order off the menu, right? So I'm eating lamb. I'm eating. <laughs> I like, I'm I'm ribeye. I'm having a, I'm having, I'm having a meal. So yes. And then he does too, because my husband not only loves movies, but he also loves to eat. So he, yeah, we are eating the meal with the dessert okay. and the popcorn. Like we get it all.
0: You guys are getting the spread.
1: We get the spread.
0: That's amazing. Um, for the last three, they are, uh, they're a little deeper, but, uh, we'll see how they go. I'm really excited to hear answers, your answers on these first up. Uh, what's your greatest fear
1: that you would think that I would just be able to say what I that thought is. you were going to
0: say something immediately.
1: Yeah. It could be
0: physical or metaphorical metaphorically. I'm afraid of not leaving a footprint or not being successful, but. Physically, I'm afraid of sharks. Sharks terrify me. You'll never get me near a shark.
1: I am afraid of sharks, but that for some reason, yeah, (laughs) I, I guess, cause I know I'm afraid of them, and that'll never, you know, like I will, I doubt if I'm ever in that scenario where I have to worry about that. Um, okay. So this is going to be hard. I just got through saying that I'm kind of pretty open and would just say, but this is, this is hard for me to say out loud. Um, I, I am afraid of, you know, dying without feeling like I've, like I've lived my purpose. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I don't think that, I don't, I don't know if we just keep getting chances until we fulfill that purpose. Like, I I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that, but I definitely don't want to leave this planet without fulfilling whatever that ultimate purpose is without knowing it and feeling like that I've accomplished it. So that's what I, I totally feel. understand
0: that. I am right there with you. Um, next up, what gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Work. And not necessarily holder, but, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's the cre- creating something because I know, you know, so my, so with since I've started Inkwell and since COVID, because I started Inkwell during COVID, my, my schedule has changed so much. Um, I wake up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning and I start doing Inkwell business because I still work for Holder and I really compartmentalize those two areas of my life. So I need to get as much as I can done before 8 o'clock, 8.30 before my Holder day starts. And then, you know, I'm full throttle with holdel, Holder until, you know, maybe six o'clock, 6.37, sometimes just depending on what's going on. And then once I shut that, that down, I transition right back to Inkwell, right? So I wake up thinking about what I need to do to get this, to make this business a success. So that's what gets me out of bed is I got stuff to do.
0: There you go, and then lastly, if I snapped my fingers right now and me and you were transported to a specific time and place in history uh, to to witness an event or to see something unfold, where where would we go?
1: Oh, that one is actually quite easy for me. We would be right smack dead in the book of Exodus in the Bible, watching the Red Sea part. (laughs) Really? Oh, did not see that coming. that's where we would be. We'd be right there watching that Red Sea part. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Wow, or that's Maybe a good we'd answer. be at the base of Mount Sinai, watching, you know, you know, hearing the Ten Commandments or something. I don't know, but that—that's where we'd be.
0: That's awesome. Well, uh, next up, now I give you the time and place to plug, uh, to plug Inkwell, plug your business, talk about what you got going on right now, and uh, yeah, the the mic is yours.
1: Okay, so this is hard for me because I don't, yeah, I I don't self-promote. I don't do that well, like I should as a business owner, but what I do do well is promote other people. So Inkwell was founded last year. April April 15th is our one-year anniversary, tax day. (laughs) So you'll never forget it. Yeah, we would have been business for one year. The first book published under our banner is The Art of Being Authentic. And so here you can see the copy of it. The author is Tracy Cobb. This is an amazing book. It's Nine Principles to Living Authentically You. And this book could be found on the Inkwell website, which is www.inkwellpublishers.com. And while you're there, browse around. You can find out about a whole bunch of other authors because we've got some really cool authors, not just from the US. I mean, Logan, we do have to do a part two because we've got I mean, Inkwell has been able to sign authors in Canada. You met Tiffany. She's one of them yep. Yep. Um, in Africa. We've got three authors from Nigeria. We have an author from Kenya. We've got a former Marine in Pittsburgh that's doing a memoir. I mean, there's some really amazing talent that's out there. Inkwell really does cater to that breakout artist, that breakout author. Um, And so, yeah, so find out more about Inkwell by going to our website. My Instagram handle is Inkwell underscore LLC. Although I'm with you, Logan, I think I need to like rebrand that. I think I need to do like Inkwell for writers or something like that. Because there are so many Inkwells that are like tattoo parlors and things like that, (laughs) (laughs) that people are getting me confused with. So no, I'm I'm the Inkwell for writers, Uh, but Inkwell underscore LLC. And... Yeah, I I look forward to you reading the amazing stories that are told by the authors who have trusted Inkwell to be their publisher.
0: That's amazing. And it it is important to note that this will release on April 16th. So the day after the one year anniversary. So congrats to Inkwell for, for that amazing milestone.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks, Logan. Oh my gosh. So now I have to like go on social media and promote this podcast <laughs> and this interview. <laughs> I'll see, I need to hire your company, your day job, your company to, <laughs> to help me in that area. All right. Yeah. We'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely talk about it. All right. Is um, that it?
0: But yeah, dude, mm-hmm. that's that's it, Beverly. I, I want to just wish you continued success. You've been such an important person in my life in the past couple years. And I, uh, I really appreciate all of the guidance and help that you've, you've done for me. You've truly done so much. So I want you to know that.
1: Thanks, Logan. You've done the same for me. You've kept me on my toes. You have pushed me creatively as well. You've offered a platform for my writers to be heard. You know, you've taught me all about this part of the business that I know nothing about. So I owe you a gratitude as well
0: well i'm 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 always here so everybody i will put inkwell's website in the description of the episode so you can easily navigate to it and check them out please give them a chance uh, and and give them a chance to earn your business they've they've like she just said she's got some amazing authors that she's working with i've gotten the pleasure to talk to two of them about some amazing projects they've got going on over on the binge boys podcast we've done an interview with with tiffany she mentioned tiffany's a really really very uh very cool uh author she's got some amazing stories coming out soon and then uh beverly's younger brother interviewed him about a a really inspiring story that you i really implore you to go check out as well um so yeah everybody that's it thank you for being here and uh we'll see everybody next time bye bye